0: You can turn to Acts chapter 2, we'll be there in just a moment if you want to get a jump on turning in Scripture. I do have a bit of a, a cold this morning. I, I call it a man cold. Um, <clears throat> there's a difference. A man cold is much worse than a cold that you women would have uh, if you were to have a cold. I've <laughs> I've heard statistically that you know you've got you know child labor and then man cold up here above that. I've I've seen some of those scientific studies, so uh, I, I do say that. Um, Just just to warn that I may say something heretical this morning, because my mind's not clear, so uh, don't judge me too harshly. I'll try to do my best to stick to my notes the best I can today. Uh, The book of Acts begins uh, where the Gospels end. In fact, um, Luke is the author of the Acts of the Apostles, and he also wrote volume one, the Gospel according to Luke, tells us the story of Jesus' life. And then volume two tells us the story of Jesus working Uh, Through the early church and as the gospel would spread. And those form a volume set for us of Jesus' life experience and the beginnings of the church. And Acts opens with Jesus then commissioning his apostles to take this gospel message, to take this good news of him, of the salvation that he brings to the ends of the earth. Um, It also includes in there uh, that uh, He would ascend, the coming Spirit would come, and then Jesus does ascend there in Acts chapter 1, a very important piece of the gospel because He is now, as we just sang, seated at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. And all that's packed into Acts chapter 1. So Acts 2 begins with the disciples in Jerusalem, and they're waiting for the promised Holy Spirit to come. They're waiting for what Jesus told them to wait for, and come he does. Notice Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now you might notice uh, that the Spirit did not come on some arbitrary day. The Spirit came on the festival, the day of Pentecost that you can read about in Leviticus chapter number 23. And uh, we'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks when we celebrate Pentecost Uh, But I want you to understand that Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover or the Feast of the First Fruits, which we would recognize as Easter. And if you think about it in your mind for just a moment, Jesus is the First Fruits of the resurrection. And on Pentecost, they would celebrate the harvest. And God is about to do an incredible work amongst these people here on this particular day. What that meant, though, is that because it was the Feast of Pentecost, there were many, many people in the city of Jerusalem. There were many people who had come from great distances to travel. They were there celebrating in the temple. And so what is the first thing the apostles do upon receiving the Holy Spirit? They head to the temple. And Peter stands up to preach to them. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 is where his sermon begins. And, and I'm going to go ahead and do this. I, I wasn't going to read all of this, but we're going to read all of what Peter has to say because so much of it fits with what we just sang about. And I want you to see those connections that are there. Peter standing with the eleven. He lifted up his voice and he addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day but this is what was uttered through the prophet joel and he quotes from joel and in the last days it will come god declares that i will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now Peter transitions to make some practical points for them. Who is this Lord? Men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know this Jesus Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosing the pains of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says this concerning him. I saw the Lord... Always before me. For he is at my right hand and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul in Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And Peter continues, Brothers, I must say to you, God raised up and of that we are witnesses being therefore called at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So let all of the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Mm. Notice the response of the crowd. 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. and for your children, and for all who were far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Peter calls on these would-be followers of Jesus who are convicted. He calls upon them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that their sins might be forgiven so that they might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's here that we are first introduced by the apostles at least to the practice of baptism as it relates to following Jesus For those of you who are not aware, today and next Sunday, we'll be focusing on this particular topic. But it's important for us to note that this is not where baptism begins. Baptism is not a new concept that's being introduced here in the book of Acts. In fact, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, open with the story of this Elijah-esque figure who appears in the wilderness. Uh, He wears camel hair. Everybody thinks he's crazy. And he's calling people to repentance. His name is John. And we call him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer because as a sign of their repentance, as a ritual of their repentance, he would then baptize them. Most often we understand that to take place in the Jordan River, even Jesus participating in the baptism of John on our behalf, really. But before I get too far ahead of myself, baptism is the practice of immersing someone under the water. The the Greek word is baptizo, and, and the word means to immerse. It means to dunk someone, to immerse something. It's used beyond people, even objects and things in ancient Greek language. And so we are are to understand that John's baptism that he performs and we see happening in the New Testament was a ritual that marked a person's cleansing. It marked a significant change in their life. Uh, one of the cool experiences I had in uh, Jerusalem, or in, I mean in Israel, when I was there, is I, I actually let my cousin baptize me uh, not because I needed re-baptized, but baptized me in the Jordan River in that particular region just so I could experience to some degree uh, what others have experienced. It wasn't some spiritual thing. No doves came down, landed on my shoulders. I did not hear any voice. Actually, what I heard, and I'll have to show this video sometime, uh, my, my cousin usually has waders on when they were out, and the fish started grabbing at his, his feet, and so he was, he was, and trying to (laughs) baptize me at the same time. Uh, That's what I heard during that experience. So it was a bit comical and moving at the same time. But there's also evidence that uh, the religious zealots who dwelled in the Qumran area uh, practiced a baptism. Some connect John to those, those individuals. That Qumran area, these religious zealots are the ones who are responsible for us having the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, that are available to us today. They were scribes who lived out here in the wilderness and they put all of these scrolls in pots and they stayed there for, for centuries until they were rediscovered. They practiced a baptism of sorts. But beyond John, we also know that Jews would wash themselves in preparation for worship. I've got a picture here that I'll have Nathan throw up there. This is a mikvah. And uh, just outside of the south gate, and I got to see these in person when I was in Jerusalem, so just outside the southern gate into the temple, they've unearthed uh, these mikvahs. I mean, what does that look like? That looks like a baptismal pool. Uh, But before worshipers would enter into the temple, they would go in and they would wash themselves and they would come back out and then they would go in cleansed, ready to worship Yahweh on the temple mount. Now, I do have to make one, one qualifying statement because I say that you know, Peter's sermon here is this, this first time that baptism is mentioned, but, but Jesus did mention baptism in his great commission. Matthew records for us that he, he instructs his disciples to go into the nations and to make disciples, but what else does he say? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So it's clear from Matthew that baptism will play a key role in anybody who uh, is desiring to make disciples, anybody who is desiring to be a disciple. Of Jesus And back to Acts 2, though. This is the first time that we read of this practice in connection with a call to believe on and to follow Jesus. And so it's important that we understand what Peter's saying here. So one of the most stark observations we make is that Peter seems to equate baptism with salvation in what he says. He says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He connects repentance and baptism in a way that most Baptists are not comfortable with. Uh, We struggle as we understand what he's saying. He connects them so closely that it seems in order to be forgiven of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that you not only have to believe, but you also must be baptized. And that doesn't settle well even just what we've just learned. We spent an entire year in the book of Galatians And what's the point of the whole book of Galatians? That it's not about what you do. It's not about your works. It's not about being circumcised or keeping the law. It's about what Christ has done and believing and trusting in that. Salvation is based upon the work of Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb. And we say amen to that. And so what is Peter getting at here in these verses? Why does he so intimately connect repentance and baptism? Let me let uh, author Bobby Jamison paint a picture uh, better than I can here. I'm going to read it. It's not coming on the video. I was just taking a drink. It was a dynamic pause. He, like he appears out of the side door. He comes in and says. Think about what baptism means in this setting. Acts 2. Put yourself in this setting. You're in a crowd of Jewish people some of whom called for Jesus' execution just a few weeks ago. Jesus' disciples are causing a public spectacle, as usual, and they're calling others to join them by believing in Jesus and getting dunked in the water right in front of everyone. To turn to Jesus in faith and baptism is to identify yourself with him and his followers, and to distance yourself from those who would reject him. You're being called to a public decision to follow Christ. And that decision is sealed publicly in baptism. Baptism is how you go public with your newfound faith in Christ. Robert Stein writes this. He says in the New Testament, conversion involves five Intrigally related components or aspects, all of which really take place or took place as we see in the New Testament at the same time, usually the same day. Five components are repentance, faith, confession, then the regeneration, the work of the Holy Spirit that he does, and Baptism. This is what we see in the New Testament according to Stein. So for the first century believer, being baptized was a part of their salvation experience. Jesus' following experience was being baptized to make that a public expression, to express your salvation, to go public with your salvation. To be baptized was was intimately and immediately connected to repentance and faith and confession and regeneration. There wasn't a gap. In about six weeks, uh, me and Faith will celebrate our anniversary where 20 years ago, we stood right where I'm standing now, and we exchanged vows, we exchanged rings, um, the, the pastor pronounced us husband and wife, after the service he went back and signed a document and some witnesses signed a document, Is our wedding day and uh, one author helps us understand it this way so so at what point were we officially married is it the exchanging of rings is it the exchanging of vows is it when we're pronounced this is it when the document is signed it, it, it doesn't really matter does it it's all one unit it's all one thing in our mind and so it is with salvation and baptism for those in the book of acts it's connected Their repentance, their faith, their confession, their regeneration, their baptism. That's why Peter uh, does the unthinkable and connects this, this action in with repentance and marking it as something that offers us forgiveness of sins. And what I hope you see, though, is that in Acts, baptism is a part of that experience, it's not a separate event. It's not meant to be something different, And we clearly see that in Acts 2: 241, uh, you know following right where we left off. what happens? Those who repented and believed, they were baptized. There's a lot of them, too. They had to have a lot of mikhs open. I don't know where they did this or how they did this, but they baptized 3,000 people on that particular day. I also want to point out that those who were baptized, those uh, who, who had confessed and repented, they connected themselves to the church. They began to follow the apostles' teaching. They began to gather together for prayer and the, the breaking of bread and the celebration of Jesus. They, they connected themselves. Baptism not only publicly displays your faith in Jesus, it also publicly identifies you with other Jesus followers who have been baptized. So have you been baptized? Have you made public your faith in Jesus? Have you connected yourself to a local church to be fed, to have fellowship, to engage in prayer? And if if you would say, no, I have not, then, then why not, why not be baptized? Why not connect yourself? But this is not simply an isolated event in Acts 2. I want to take the rest of my time and we're going to work through the book of Acts just pretty quick and look at several passages of Scripture that show a pattern for us of, of how people responded in faith to Jesus in the practice of baptism. These will be on the screen so you don't have to turn to these. We're going to throw them up as quick as we can. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. Notice what happens. But when they believed, Philip As he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. When they believed, they were baptized. Acts 8, 35, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with Scripture, he told him, we're speaking of the Ethiopian eunuch, you remember, he's running behind, beside the chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch's going, I don't know what this means that Isaiah is writing about. And so, Philip opens his mouth and explains the good news about Jesus, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water and this has to be the most miraculous baptism ever, maybe outside of Jesus, but Philip and the eunuch and he baptized them and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Incredible. Acts chapter nine, verse 17. Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, Who's the him, Saul, who had just seen Jesus on the Damascus road? He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized. Baptized. Acts chapter 10, Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people? This is the household of Cornelius who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain some days. Now this one's pretty cool too because this is one of the first experiences of the Gentiles. Cornelius was not of the Jews. And you remember Peter sees the sheep and he sees the animals and God says take and eat and Peter goes to the house of Cornelius and he preaches the gospel and Peter immediately upon their belief says let's baptize these Gentiles too. This isn't just for us. Oh, Acts chapter 16 verse 14. One who heard us in Philippi Uh, was a woman named Lydia. This is Luke writing his own personal experience. He's here with Paul. And this woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, she was a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Acts chapter 16, verse 30. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you recognize that line? The Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house And he took them that same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. He and his family. And he brought them up into the house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Acts chapter 18 verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue that is in Corinth, he believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Acts 19. One more for you. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and he came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, what did they heard? And he said, into, into what were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. You know, the one about repentance. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. You haven't heard of him yet. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So if baptism is the commission of Jesus, go make disciples. And a part of that making of disciples is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost and then teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. So baptism is the commission of Jesus. Baptism is the command of Peter and the other apostles, as we see in Acts, as we see even in Paul's letters. It's connected to our repentance, faith, and confession. If baptism is the pattern of the early church, and baptism has been the pattern of the church throughout history, then what's keeping us from baptizing? What's keeping you from being baptized? I came up with a couple of reasons, maybe things that would keep us from being baptized. The, the first one would be this, rebellion. Uh, for, for some, it just might be your own stubborn self. You don't want to follow through, you in this sense are just refusing to do what Jesus instructs us to do and I don't know the inner workings of that rebellion for you I don't know what it is uh, that, that causes you to not want to do that but today the Lord that you claim to love is inviting you to repent and to walk in obedience and to be baptized for some it may be fear I remember as a young child I had made a profession of faith and and I was approached about being baptized, and I was terrified of our pastor. He was a man who just scared me. I didn't like being around him. Uh, I don't know what it was. I didn't know if I thought he was just gonna drown me and be done with me. Uh, I don't know the, the intricacies of that fear that was going on in me, but I did not want him laying a hand on me anywhere near water, and I was just fearful. And I hope that's not the case for maybe some of you. I will not drown you. But, but maybe it's just a fear of man. You fear the idea of being up in front of people. Um, for some, there's a, there's a genuine fear, and I think this goes back to Acts 2. This goes back to those who were there that day, and they were moved by what Peter said. And they had a very real decision to make. If I take a stand here today and express my belief in Jesus, some of these people right here around me are the very ones who crucified him. Who's to say I may not survive out the rest of this day? Uh, About two years ago, me and some of the other men were able to watch a video that was put out by Elam Ministries, and it's a ministry that's particular to Iran. And we were able to watch and hear the testimonies of, of several uh, who had made professions of faith in Jesus, and we were able to watch them be baptized in the ocean. And for them, that's a very real Acts to experience. There can be a real fear there, because upon that action of being public with their faith, They may be completely disowned by their family. They may be put on a list by the Ayatollah and any who would want to take them out to remove them as we've seen story after story unfold. Some of them have very real things to fear. I don't know what fear may be driving you, but perfect love casts out fear. And don't let fear keep you from obedience to Jesus. For some, it may be a lack of understanding, and that's what I hope to accomplish in looking at the book of Acts today and next Sunday as we'll look at what does baptism signify? What are the pictures of baptism? Why is this so important for us? And I hope that that will address some of that lack of understanding for you and your family, and hope you see that it is a necessary component for anyone who says, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be his disciple. And the fourth thing that I came up with was this opportunity, and, and this one falls on me. Maybe I have not been clear. I think in some cases that may be very true. That this is the way for a follower of Jesus. This is that step for a follower of Jesus to follow in baptism. In, in the past, and, and this will continue to a degree, been very cautious with children. I had the experience like probably some of you had where I was baptized at a young age and I made it a few more years and realized I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I think that, that experience for me has led me to, to be too cautious as we think about our kids who have expressed faith in Jesus, made professions of faith in Jesus, We still want to urge caution and we still want to make sure that there's understanding in that. Especially for those who are of a younger age. But we also want them to have the opportunity to be obedient to Jesus and follow Him in faithfulness. And so, speaking of opportunity, on on May 16th, we're going to have a special day of baptism. And, And if... You, or maybe one of your children, which I know many of you have talked to me even over the last couple of weeks. Um, if if you are desiring to follow the Lord in baptism, please come see me so I can put your name down. So I can have an idea of who would desire to do this because I want to follow up. I want to talk to your kids. I want to have those conversations and make sure there's understanding there before we would move forward with that. Uh, but that's a day that we're we're setting aside for that particular purpose. Uh, that's also Pentecost, and uh, we're going to celebrate like they did in the first century on Pentecost, and just rejoice in the salvation that the Lord has brought to us. So I want to encourage you to come back next week. Next week, we're going to get in more of the nuts and the bolts of what baptism signifies, And let me tell you something, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture that God has given us of the salvation that he has given to us in Jesus. And so I hope you can be here next week as we will begin to walk through some of those things as well.